0: Pastor Mike and Liz Griffiths lead our city campus doing an amazing job. Would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Mike this morning? Thanks, Frosty. So good to be here. Thanks uh, to Pastor Adam and Pastor Darcy. Uh, It's great for us to be here as we kick off this new series. Um, Before I start, I need to just uh, give some acknowledgments this morning with regards to what we're going to be talking about. Firstly, Pastor Adam Dodds, um, uh, who has been a very helpful source of scientific articles. Secondly, Pastor Paul Hudson, who is the UK Missions Director, who gave me some profound insight on the scriptures on this topic. And then a friend of mine, Pastor Samson Paul, who runs a large church in Bangalore and has um, specific ministries to people struggling with gender issues. And uh, a lot of what I've heard about what goes on there has shaped the way I see this topic. So uh, thanks to those people. Let me begin this morning um, with a story, but let me also say um, I'm going to be sticking fairly closely to my notes. Obviously, it's quite a complex topic, and we've got to cover a lot of ground. So please forgive me if I do that this morning. But I want to begin by talking about a friend of mine, a very talented musician, toured New Zealand with a a Christian music group uh, for a season, Um, got involved in business, was a very successful young man, very talented, Um, and, and on fire for the Lord. And at some point in his journey, he began to drift away from God. And he got involved with some, I don't know, some relationships. He once confessed to me, he said, Mike, I've seen the hard side of love. And I have a sneaking suspicion he got into some abusive relationships where he was used. But it came to the point where he decided that he was a woman trapped in a man's body. You've got to understand, this guy was like six foot one, uh, monstrously wide shoulders, very narrow hips. Uh, This was not an obvious or an easy transition for him, and sadly, his journey was pretty much all downhill from there. He began cross-dressing, took hormone treatment, wore a wig, changed his name, um, but at the same time, lost his confidence, put on a tremendous amount of weight, struggled with severe depression, spent a lot of time uh, within the psychiatric uh, environment, uh, getting help on medication. And you know, people tried to love him and they tried to support him and encourage him and spend time with him, but he just spiraled down uh, over a number of years and he finally died of a heart attack in his late 30s. It was just such a tragic, tragic waste. Um, So I, I guess I share that because you need to know that topic topics not purely academic for me um, this is this is personal and it's important um, and the reality is is that we will all at some point be confronted by gender issues and you know when anyone uh, in the world begins a sentence with i am then you know they're talking about issues of identity and when a world doesn't or can't or won't find its identity in god um then that world is always trying to answer that identity question, who am I? But they try to answer it by building on other things, on smaller things, on things like career, I'm a doctor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a salesman, or on interests, I'm, I'm a foodie, or I'm a dog person, or I'm a gamer, or on skills, I'm a leader, or I'm a facilitator, or I'm a trainer. But now what we're seeing is, now people are trying to find their identity In sexuality, I am trans, I am gender neutral, I am bisexual, whatever it is. So this issue of identity is incredibly important. Jesus gave us some important insight into the issue of identity. And we're going to start there in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Do you understand what he's asking? He's asking, what do people think my identity is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And this is so interesting, because when Jesus asked, what are the people, who do the people say I am? Everyone had a different idea. And here's the first thought this morning. When you look for your identity from people, you are guaranteed to get confusion. Jesus goes on, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Listen what Jesus, how Jesus replies. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are, hear what he's doing? He's going into identity. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, this is profoundly important because Jesus is showing us That not only does Jesus' identity come from God, but actually our identity comes from God. And, And Jesus highlighted to Peter, you're spot on Peter, but you need to be very clear. You didn't get that from people. God revealed my identity to you. And now watch me as God in the flesh. Let me tell you what your identity is. This is who you are. And he explained his identity within the grander purpose and plan that God had. And that is a defining moment was a defining moment for Peter's life, and it's a defining moment for any one of us when we get a revelation of our identity in Christ. You see, until you find your identity in God, you'll always look for something to build your identity on. And let me say this this morning. A thing like your sexuality is far too small a thing to build your identity on. But that is what is happening. So we need to be Jesus in this, like every other thing that comes our way. Now the gender debate is extensive and can be quite confusing. It includes questions like, is gender something you're born with? Uh, Is gender and sexuality something you can choose? I mean, that's a suggestion that would have been considered bizarre even just a decade ago. Uh, is there just two genders, or are, are there more than two genders? Is gender fluid? Can we change it? Uh, what is our response to gender dysphoria, this idea of a man being trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body? Can our gender be decided by our feelings about our sexuality? And should how we feel about our sexuality be treated by irreversible surgery? Where do we begin? Or we begin where we always must begin, which is with the unchanging truth of the Word of God. You know, Genesis 1, 27, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. Matthew 19, Jesus reiterates this. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Now, Genesis tells us that God originally created two genders, two options, binary, just, just there's just two things that are available there. Now, this is interesting. Not surprisingly, science agrees. Doctors say gender is binary. So what is this all about then? Increasingly, the best medical minds are saying that gender confusion is a mental health issue, not a physical health issue. I'm just telling you what the science says. Dr. Paul R. McHugh is one of the most respected physicians in his field in the world. He is the former psychiatrist-in-chief for John Hopkins Hospital, one of the most widely respected hospitals in the world, uh, and is currently its distinguished service professor of psychiatry. Now, he says some interesting things. He says that transgenderism is a mental disorder that merits treatment. He also says that people who promote sexual reassignment surgery are collaborating with and promoting a mental disorder. Studies from Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic of children who have expressed transgender feelings over time show that if left untreated chemically with puberty blockers and other things, by adulthood, 70 to 80% spontaneously lost those feelings. In fact, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association records that as many as 98% 98 of gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex after naturally passing through puberty. its most recent edition states that gender dysphoria is a recognized mental disorder. Now, Professor McHugh describes gender dysphoria as a disorder of the mind similar to anorexia where a dangerously thin sufferer who looks in the mirror thinks that they are overweight. Now, another expert, uh, guy, Ryan Anderson, an author uh, of a book called When Harry Became Sally, who was in New Zealand recently, now he agrees, this is what he says. He says, for the percentage who don't correct at puberty, they should be offered counseling, not surgery. We don't offer liposuction to an anorexic. Professor McHugh goes on to say, policymakers in the media are doing no favors either to the public or the transgender community by treating their confusions as a right in need of defending rather than as a mental order disorder that deserves understanding and treatment. And he also adds, sex change biologically is impossible. I'll quote him again. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to woman or woman to men. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women. Look, and the results of following through with this whole process through surgery is just frightening. While in the media in New Zealand, we hear about the Uh, appalling and unjust wait times for New New Zealand gender reassignment surgery, the outcomes internationally should be a complete wake-up call. Does surgery help? A major study in Sweden came back with these widely publicized results. After surgery, supposedly to make everything right. The need of psychiatric hospitalization was still three times that of the general population. The suicide risk rate was still five times that of the general population and the suicide death rate was still 20 times that of the general population and the suicide death rate of people after surgery was almost the same as what it was before surgery. Now here's the point. If the problems were in people's bodies, surgery would correct that. But the psychological distress is not resolved by surgery. Broken, hurting people before surgery are tragically still broken, hurting people after surgery, which is exactly why the John Hopkins Gender Reassignment Surgery Unit was shut down over 40 years ago. It's just heartbreaking. So the Bible says that gender is either male or female. Science agrees and says that people who feel otherwise actually have a mental health issue, which for most, if left with encouragement and support, will correct itself in time. And for those that don't correct, they require understanding and grace and treatment. But what about those who have already gone down this road? Those who have had hormone treatment or who wear the opposite gender's clothes or who have had surgery to amputate and reconstruct parts of their body because the going back is very difficult and in many cases impossible. Walt Heyer is an author, counsellor and international speaker who was in New Zealand recently and I had the great privilege of being able to uh, hear him. Walt Heyer was secretly cross dressed by his grandmother from the age of four when he visited with her alone. Every time he was there and he put on the dress that she gave him, he would receive huge affirmation. And there was no affirmation until he put on the dress. Walt says this, he says, Abuse takes many forms. An emotional pattern was established that became part of his life. Later, abuse strengthened it. And around 30 years later, Walt Heyer had gender reassignment surgery. And for eight years, he lived as Laura Jensen. And he says, my life fell apart. In fact, he says of his whole life up until the end of that eight year period, he said it was 46 years of misery. Eight years after transitioning, amidst a growing relationship with Jesus and from being part of a church that welcomed him and accepted him, he transitioned back. Though of course the surgery was irreversible. He says that on his journey, the turning point came when finally a psychotherapist said to him, you never needed surgery. You needed good psychotherapy to deal with the emotional and psychological issues. It was the bitter pill he didn't wanna hear, but when he swallowed it, led him to breakthrough. You know, Walt Heyer now has a worldwide ministry to people wanting to detransition back To their birth gender. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. Listen to this. This is what he says about the transgender people he ministers to globally exclusively. He says this He says, Every person, every person can tell you the person and the moment it was introduced to them, it's manufactured, he says. God doesn't make transgender kids, man does. Okay, so does the Bible even say anything about people with gender issues? Interestingly, it does. I'm gonna get a little bit graphic in this next segment, but I'm going somewhere, so please hang in with me. Now, the Bible talks of 11 people by name who have had their physical gender surgically altered. It speaks of 14 individuals specifically and speaks of this category of person 21 times in Scripture. These people were known in Scripture as eunuchs. Now, in various periods of history, eunuchs were highly sought after by courts, by kings and emperors, to serve in senior positions within a king or emperor's inner circle. In the Middle East, Southeast Asia, China, and Africa, eunuchs were sought after because after having been emasculated, they were not a threat to the king's wives or harems, because they didn't have the ability to have a family of their own, their loyalties were solely with the king. And because they were now of lower social value, they could be more easily disposed of when they were no longer of any use. Now, the tragedy is that this wasn't a job you applied for. You don't find these jobs on TradeMe. This was a job you were forced into. Young boys, usually before puberty, were selected, taken, and forced into the king's service. They then either had their testicles cut off, or they were permanently bound so tightly that they could not develop, or they had all of their male genitalia cut off, flush with the skin. No anesthetic, no hospitals. One particular order that produced eunuchs Uh, recorded a 10% survival rate from the operation. Now, that's horrific enough, right? But what was worse was the social implications. You know, in Middle Eastern culture, where family is a legacy, where you lived on in your sons and daughters, where it was a fate worse than death to have your family line cut off, these individuals found themselves without a husband or a wife, with no children to look after them when they were old. They were humiliated, they were right at the bottom of the social order, there was no recourse to any justice and they had no descendants to carry on the family name. These were lost generations. And hear me now, we are gonna see lost generations coming into our churches in the next two decades. But we find these people in the Bible. So we're gonna look at one right now. And you notice we're gonna read through Acts 8, quite a chunk of scripture, but let's get through it. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And so we invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this is fascinating. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken From the earth, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Now, what is going on here? This is fascinating. Firstly, this person is a eunuch and someone who is highly successful. I mean, he is no significant other, he has no family, he was almost certainly forced into this situation, but somehow he has worked his way to the top. He has huge responsibility, he is the CFO of a nation. Secondly, he is seeking God. Now, he's obviously a Jew of some sort. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship, although you've got to understand, as a eunuch, he cannot go into the temple to worship. So he can go to the city, but he can't go any closer to the presence of God than that, and he is seeking God. Thirdly, this is important. It is God who intervenes. It is God who initiates this, and it is God who interrupts Philip's day so he can go and have a divine appointment With this person, God clearly loves this person and is setting him up for something special. Fourthly, this person is stuck on a very particular passage. A passage, now listen to this, a passage that is talking about someone who sounds like they have been through exactly what he has been through. Think about it. Led like a sheep to a slaughter, Isaiah reads. How vivid were his memories of being a little boy and taken where he did not wanna go to a man with a knife who brutally changed his life forever. It says, he knew humiliation. It says, he was deprived of justice. This was forced upon him. He was looked down on. And it finishes by saying, who can speak of his descendants? This unit was reading of someone who knew his pain when he thought no one really understood his pain. He was reading of someone who knew his humiliation, who knew his life, and he was desperate to know. Who was this? Was this the prophet? Or If it wasn't, who was the prophet speaking about, having no idea that the scripture by Isaiah was speaking about Jesus Christ? Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, verse 39, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, we have a unique insight into how God felt about one such eunuch how God reached out to this person, how God spoke to this person, how God sought and saved this person and how God used this person to take the gospel into a part of the world which before this was completely unreached. When he had lost everything, I love this. When he had lost everything, God found him. God gave him hope, a purpose and a family through the church. How should we respond to those caught up in the confusion of the current gender issues in the world, or certainly no less in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who looked for him and went after him, who loved him and connected him with Jesus, who knows and understands the pain of those struggling with gender issues, and get this, who then commissioned this person to go and be a minister of the gospel and carry the hope of Jesus back to his nation. Biblical scholars tell us that this eunuch was almost certainly the one who took the gospel of Jesus back to North Africa and planted churches in Ethiopia, which then spread across the African continent. How cool is that? I'm telling you, there is a place. There is a place in God's church for everybody. And I love this. God is not fazed by what phases us. God is not phased by things like gender issues. God is not phased by gender surgery as destructive as it is. There is a hope and a future for everybody, a place and a purpose. And just because we didn't see this coming, how foolish it would be of us to think that God didn't see this coming and have it already planned and already be the answer to every lack and every problem and have even put it in the scriptures for us so when we got here, we'd see it and know that he knew we were gonna be here. And here's the thing. It's our job, Tim. It's our job to take this to people who are struggling in these areas. Three things we need to understand as a church. Number one, we need to see people and not sexualities. Every person that you ever see, every, no matter how they look on the outside, I'll tell you who they are. They are someone made in the image of God. And if we can get our eyes off the external and we can see them as someone made in the image of God, I tell you, that will change the way we can emotionally respond. We must look at people through the lens of the gospel, male, female, anything in between. I don't care what's going on. There's somebody made in the image of God. And if there's someone made in the image of God, I tell you how they're saved. They're saved by grace. They're not saved by having a particular genitalia. And when you're in a relationship with God through grace, you are changed into the image of Jesus by the Spirit of God through obedience, not through anything else, not through having surgery or not having surgery. That's how you're changed. You're changed by obedience to the Spirit of God. And then when that's happening, as you are being conformed to the image of Jesus, it is faithfulness that opens the door to ministry. God will love and use anybody, who trusts Him, who is obedient and faithful, regardless of their sexuality, surgery, or their past sins. The second thing we've got to understand, and this leads into this perfectly, being transgender or being gender confused is not in and of itself sin. You aren't a sinner because your genitals were amputated any more than you are a sinner because your leg gets amputated. A transgender person isn't a sinner because they struggle in their thinking with their feelings about sexual identity any more than a depressed person is a sinner because they struggle with feelings of despair. Sin is a rejection of God as the rightful authority in your life. Anyone can sin. In fact, everyone sins, and we've all sinned but let us not make the mistake of thinking that someone who is different from us in their gender is therefore automatically a sinner. And then thirdly, this is important. They don't need affirmation of their journey, but they do need acceptance on their journey. They need people who will love them, care for them, just do life with them, without judgment and without rejection. We'll get the band to come up now. It'd be great just as we come to a close. But let me say this as I finish. As the world gets more and more confused, the simplicity of the gospel shines brighter and clearer and continues to show us the way forward. Let us not be confused. But let us remember the most important things which will change anybody's life. Number one, God so loved the world. Don't read that wrong. It doesn't say God so loved the church. It says He so loves the world and all its mess and brokenness. He loves it. And we must too. Jesus is the saviour of sinners, not saints. The broken, confused world is exactly where Jesus is and wants us to be. Number two, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It's our rejection of God. It's our Our unwillingness to trust Him and put our faith in Him that separates us from God and and keeps us from experiencing His love and knowing His plan for our lives. It's not our sexuality that separates us from God. It's not our confusion around our gender that separates us from God. Now, you can have those things and reject God, but it's that rejection of God that separates us from Him. Number three, Jesus still is the way, the truth, and the life and we are saved by grace through faith in Him. It's not through looking like someone else or talking like someone else or walking like someone else or conforming to a certain set of body functions or body parts. It is through Jesus that we are saved. I'm telling you, make no mistake, transgender people are, can be saved and are being saved right now. And then lastly, to those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right. This is beautiful to become children of God which means our identity is in him you know just like the Ethiopian eunuch there are people out there confused struggling with questions and feelings that they are sure no one else really understands and they are trying to find a hope and a future may you and i not only open the doors of our church and our home but open our arms to them Introduce them to the only one, in whom they will find their true identity. Can we stand together this morning? Let me pray as we close. Jesus, once again, Lord, we stand in awe of you and your word, God, and your extraordinary grace, Lord. God, we live in a season, God, when there is much confusion around and many, many hurting and broken people. God, I know, Lord, that you are even more of the answer today than you have ever been in the past. God, let us, God, be people who live with open arms and open hearts, having found our identity in you. And in all things, let us be looking to lead others to find that same thing, regardless of where they're at. God, I pray that through every one of us, God, in this next week, in this next month, God, that you will lead us to hurting, broken people, that we might give your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.